Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Coming up, part two of our tour of the Clark Art Institute in Williamstown. Admission is still free until the end of the month, so all the things you hear about today, you can see at the Clark right now. And our in-studio musical guests later in the show, Mike Stinson and Johnny Erian, who are playing at the Egremont Barn in Stockbridge this Saturday. But first, drinking. I'm really glad that we get to taste with you because you would always comment in my previous radio incarnation every Friday, like now, I was drinking, but always with Stage Street. <laughs> I actually, like, every week on Friday driving to work would be hearing this piece and be like, oh, gosh, I just wish it was me. <laughs> and now it is you! It is! Here I am. I've arrived! I'm making it into the wine Thunderdome! You're in the wine business, I've arrived. We have once again entered the wine Thunderdome here in the fabulous 413, and we are, in some ways, at Mothership Wine in all of Western Mass, and in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in many ways, Table and Vine, West Springfield, with Michael Quinlan, what is your title here at Table and Vine? My title is Table and Vine Ambassador. I love that. Yes. Table and Vine is That's so huge awesome. that they have they have their own delegation to the United Nations. That's right. And you are the ambassador. I am. I don't know if you saw this, but in Boston next week, there's a bunch of ambassadors coming to like study education in the city and all these different things. I'm assuming my invitation. Yeah, is totally. Because they need wine too. Exactly. Um, it's funny because you were trained in the world of wine by the same person that I was, Judy O'Brien, uh -huh. aka the wine mother at State Street in Northampton. And that's what was your first kind of wine gig. It was. I worked there part-time for almost a year under Judy and then wound up at Big Y. It was just uh, one of those things. But yeah, Judy was always like so patient, like with people that didn't know anything about wine, like me at the time. Uh -huh. I was like, hey, what should I drink? I did not have that same experience. <laughs> she was very harsh to me. She was pretty great with me, really. Um, and then, and then after I left, she was always very gracious. I felt like we just had these moments where we'd see each other at a tasting, a, you know, commercial tasting or whatever. And she was always just so kind, you know. Yeah, like you amazing. could, she could have been competitive, but <laughs> she always said the nicest things about you to me before I even. Well, there's no got bad to things to say about me, really. So. <laughs> also worth noting, your former uh, Northampton City Councilor. Well, that's that's what people would say bad things about me. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I brought it up then. Um, but now here we are in West Springfield, and the the premise of the Wine Thunderdome, if you've forgotten, is. Two wines enter, one wine leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves! A la Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome. And the idea being two wines of a similar varietal, location, price, two commonalities, and we'll decide which one we like best. So what have you brought here for Khalees and I in the Wine Thunderdome today, Michael Quinn? So I didn't want to do like- We have a one... whole spreadsheet and everything. I know, yeah, I yeah. created cell I sheets. It. I created cell I... sheets. The staff are gonna taste them too, so I wanted them to have information. About Got it. So it. Like, good thinking. Well, so I was talking with some people and I was like, what I don't want to do is do something so simple, like, oh, French Chardonnay versus an American Chardonnay. I wanted to, do, wanted to dig a little deeper. And then my wife reminded me of what Kristen Chenoweth taught Leo McGarry when he's uh, debate prepping. If you don't like the question, just refuse the premise of the question. I didn't do that exactly, but these wines are both Mediterranean wines. They're both family-owned, both estate-grown, which I think is so important to support farmers specifically. Both wine regions, Rioja and Chianti, have a backbone of mountains behind them, right? The Apennines. Rioja in Spain, Chianti in Italy. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Sierra Cantabrias and Rioja provide this incredible shield, basically, from the cold Atlantic uh, air, and then you just get this rush from the Mediterranean of warm air, so it creates this continental climate, right? And then, in obviously, in Italy, you have a Mediterranean climate in the Ligurian Sea, 
does the same thing with Tuscany. It pushes there, but the Apennines hold that warmth there. You know, that's what's similar about these. The other thing is to go a little deeper, they're both 85% of the primary variety of the region, right? So in Tuscany, the primary variety is Sangiovese. So this Chianti we're going to taste is 85% Sangiovese. And the Rioja is Tempranillo, 85% Tempranillo in this case. And both wines are aged in oak for about 18 months. The other thing about Spanish and Italian wines that I always find a similarity in is there's that visceral leathery quality to it. So sometimes if I'm blind tasting, it's harder for me to tell. I know it's Spain or Italy, can't quite tell which one, but uh, we'll see. I feel like there's always a minerality to Italian ones. Not always, but often mm -hmm. that yeah. gives it away. Yeah, yeah. All right, so which one are we going to start with, Michael Quinlan? I'm going to start with the Rioja. For those who don't know about the relationship between table and vine and big Y, or they know that they're related somehow, tell us about what that relationship is all about. This store was founded in 1962 in Northampton as Big Y Wines. In 1998, we changed the name to Table and Vine. So it's still owned by Big Y. It's always, you know, just been a subsidiary of Table and Vine. So all of us work for Big Y, which is great because they're they're really super to the employees, and I think we have a good a good big family-owned company, but still a yeah, family -owned 12 12,000 of your friends and neighbors work for this work for this locally-owned company. Very happy about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, blueberries. <laughs> right, blueberry, black cherry, right? It's like mm -hmm. yeah, that definitely. ripe fruit. You, know, you definitely understand warmth here immediately oh, in yeah. the nose. Yeah. I love Rioja. I feel like as far Sweet. as underappreciated, uh, maybe in the world Let's of- keep it that way yes. so that I can get it <laughs> as much as I want. Because it's, as we've mentioned on a previous one of these, Spain is one of my favorite regions just generally. Yeah, it's still very affordable and excellent quality. I think if you take, like when I was looking at this in, and wanted to serve two wines to y'all that were gonna be somewhat compelling, but not like outrageously expensive. So you're gonna, you're gonna take most of France out of the equation, yeah. right? And then you're left with Rioja and Chianti that are just like still just absolute OG wines, right? Old vines, old school winemakers, and still affordable. Allegedly, we're not allowed to talk about price on uh, public radio. You can so. say a range, like, so like, like generalities. Let's say you had some founding fathers in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones would they be and how many of them are there? <laughs> these, are, these are both about Do you mean you have two Alexander Hamiltons in front of you? <laughs> That's right. Or maybe four Abraham Lincolns. <laughs> now that's L-I-N-C-O-L-E. I know how to spell Lincoln. We could have a future Harriet Tubman on the table. I like this a lot. I like this a lot too, and it's got that leathery quality mm. that I like, and uh, like a brambly garrigue, they call it, you know? Yeah. It's almost like eating a truffle. Like you get this burst of, of blueberry, and then there's a little space, and then you get that leatheriness on the mm. end. That's a, it's just so nice in the mouth. Uh, at home, we have this joke about the U word, like don't say the U word, but this wine is screaming the U word, right? Which is? Unctuous. Umami, right? Like, Umami. The savory, like, and what you're talking about, the truffle thing, right? Because that, that taste, when you eat truffles right that it, you taste it like the next morning and this wine is the same right? I just feel like it just sticks there sticks there sticks there so long oh yeah this is delicious what is that uh, could you drink <laughs> oh I, I could drink all of it I could drink but I'm yeah. trying to get better about day drinking in the new digs here it's so much media. easier right when you were out of work at lunchtime exactly so the name of this one one more time and this what? is Conde de Valdemar Rioja Reserva Sold by your friend Chris Gazzara, actually. Oh, I love oh, that guy. Hey, Chris. Chris. He's a wine rep for Charles River Wines. Yes. yes. I think we had this one at the Wine and Food Weekend. Oh, cool. He's that also big nice. into the drag party movement. Yeah. And that I also yeah. thoroughly enjoy. Shameless plug, Drag Hamlet. Put on by my children this weekend. <laughs> Shameless plug.
Feel no shame, ever. Never. Never. <laughs> all you have to do is fully disclose. I'm not going to gain anything from it. It's just really cool that my kids are putting on a drag version of Hamlet. All three of my children, even my nine-year-old. Anyway, that's what's ruining America, some people say. I say, I'm, I'm going, going to the land where they're declaring that that's the truth in a week. Boy. Well, it's full of really good music. Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, which like primarily experimental music, like, fantastic festival. And, yeah, it's in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. And my friend who I'm going to stay with is a public defender there and has just been, a, like, watching these laws come down going, how do you expect us to enforce any of this? Mm. Yeah, no, it's not good. See, that's why it's fabulous. 413, most of the time. <laughs> if you're wondering why Khalees isn't on the show for large parts of next week, she was not part of that sad news that came through earlier this week. She'll be back. She'll be back. Okay, Michael Quinlan from Table and Vine. This used to be the room we're in right now, this giant connoisseur room where all the, the up top shelf wines were. Now those are out behind glass. Yeah, this was all temp control in here and then we, we created, well, they built this case out front to put the vines on a little bit better display. And then we used it for storage for about a year and a half during the pandemic, yeah. during like the, the throes of the pandemic. Yeah, like you do. And then they converted it into this gorgeous tasting room. And we're having, you know, two or three events a week here. We're really having a lot of support from the vendors and so much fun. We'd actually had Andrea McBride oh. from the McBride sisters zoomed in last night. Oh, wow. Oh, for a tasting that's why here. Yeah. I'm a fan of the sparkling one. It's so fun. It's yeah. real fun. Black Girl Magic uh, Sparkling. Yeah, Black Girl Magic Sparkling. Andrea's like has the New Zealand accent. She's the sister that was born in New Zealand. So like her presentation just like, you know, oh, any right. accent at all, like everybody's sunk. It's like, okay, give me ten bottles. Okay. That's fine. How do people find out when they're tasting and what'll be tasted? Tableandvine.com. There's a an events and tastings tab there. And you can see uh, our upcoming events. Wine Thunderdome, wine number two. <laughs> Chianti Oh, right. cherries. This all red that, fruit. That beautiful Italian thing. It's Morello cherry, right? That bitter skin of a cherry and just gorgeous, gorgeous red fruit, like you said, Glees. Just unbelievable. This is a small family-owned winery that we represent for Massachusetts ourselves. We don't buy it from a distributor. We buy it from the importer. Because that's another important thing about Table and Vine. You we are an importer own. as yeah, well. Yeah, we have our own import wholesale uh, permit. This is just this really cool winery that's like husband and wife. They're in their 70s. Their family is taking the winery over slowly, but we were just blown away by the wines mm. and this says one thing about it that isn't typical for the kind of wine that I like it has a little Merlot and a little Cabernet in it uh -huh. I'm not a big Merlot Cabernet fan I'm definitely also not a big Merlot Cabernet fan in Tuscan wine but I taste this wine and I was just like oh my gosh like that adds like the mineral thing that you were talking about too I think it, the Cabernet portrays that in Tuscany so well and it mellows out the leatheriness that is yeah. oftentimes in Sangiovese and Chianti and it gives it a little bit more of a rounded yeah. feel of and that under, it's like underpinning to the cherry fruit too right just makes it stand straight up what's the name of this one again this is Canonica a Ceretto is the name of the winery, and this is their Chianti Classico Reserva. And again, about a Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. future Harriet Tubman. Wink, wink. I was I used to be on a program on WGBY and with Betty Rossbottom, and like every week you're like, oh, and this is a great twenty-five dollar wine, and they're like, you can't. You just, come on, you have to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the 10th week in a row. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> I know. But it's hard to find, you want people to be informed. I mean, like, we have Marketplace on NPR. They have to talk about prices and stocks and stuff on there, don't they? Yeah, but they also kind of dance around it there, too. Like, they talk about points, but they're not talking about dollars. Yeah. Maybe we should come up with they our own trends. code. I think that's what we should do. <laughs> and I don't think it should be based on pounding pockets. We're gonna come up with another code. Every store that does a, th a Thunderdome with you, like we have a summit to figure yeah, out like what the code, the code is. Like, are. I love this. <laughs> Uh-oh, and look who's there in the corner. Keep walking. Get over <laughs> here, Ruby Rob. Why, it's our friend, the wine rep from Ruby Wines, Ruby Rob. Oh, look at this. The worst. Hi. <laughs> Robert, 
How are you? I thought I know it was going to be this kind of a party. Let's have a glass, Ruby Rob. What are you guys drinking? We're drinking a Rioja and we're drinking a Sangiovese. Very nice. Chianti. Is it terrible if I ask to go back to the Rioja? No, of course not. Of course not. In for a dime, in for a dollar. Oh, damn it, I'm not allowed to say that either. No, that's, a, that's an expression. <laughs> oh, okay. Dirty diaper. With the Rioja? Yeah. Yep, you're not wrong about that. We call it funk. But it is what we mean, and it is there, and it doesn't mean it's bad. It's right. kind of awesome. You don't like it? Bootsy Collins playing in no, the background. No, I love it. I, I love it. Call it whatever you will. Ruby Rob nailed what it is. Play it on the one. That it actually the is. <laughs> From what I've heard, I you know, I don't taste a lot of Rioja's often, but... Uh, <laughs> I love how Michael Quinn is really giving it to Ruby. Fired, yeah. Like, yeah. wow, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm used to it. I'm just rolling it off. So it's like all day, just like cracking jokes at the salespeople's expense. I didn't realize yeah, sure. that when we said that it was the Wine Thunderdome, it was also going to be a fight between reps, and one of you yeah. was going to <laughs> Two wine oh, snobs yeah. enter. Oh, Tina Turner. Master oh my god, I love that movie. What's your song? What's the song that, in there? We don't need well, you're about to hear it, Ruby Rob. Through the miracle of it, a digital editing. Here we go. You want to hear the Khalees version of it? Or do you want to hear the Tina Turner version of it? Totally. You want to hear Tina Turner version? How about version? both? How about both? We just oh, dump Lord. them over each other. Oh, yeah. We don't need another Pino. take on the Rioja, Ruby Rock? Well, interestingly, I think there's a little bit less of that Brettanomyces funk thing that's happening in Rioja. I think that's more of a modern Brettanomyces is what they call noble rot. No. No? no? Oh, it's wild yeast. Noble rot is botrytis. Oh, botrytis, right. So what's yeah. Brettanomyces? It's wild yeast. It's, it's a, like a yeast. Yeah, it's just a yeah. natural thing that occurs ambiently yeah. in the winery of, yeah. in Rioja that, that gives you that leather, the uh -huh. dirty diaper, yeah. the what, all that. The funk. It happens Parmesan, a lot with, with cider. Totally. You're starting to get it in, in beer too. Yeah. Like wild yeast movement is a whole thing. Yeah, I hear a lot of Sometimes beer snobs say Brit. Flaw, but in something like Rioja, it's, it's, you want it to happen. Yeah. You want it to be there. So. And you like that though? Yes. I do too. I guess we should go back to the Chianti mm -hmm. since, we're, since we're here. We don't want to leave Ruby Rob out and have him drink alone. And this is the opposite, right? This is like totally clean. Mm. Yeah, which is like, irony, kind of like yeah. that in yeah. the nose. You get that sort of steely mineral. Yeah. yeah. Irony. Good. Mm -hmm. I like that blood. It really isn't the word Sangiovese sort of like the blood or sangre. Yeah. I think it's also ironic that Rob's in here tasting wines that he doesn't sell. <laughs> Good for you, <laughs> Ruby. Like Rob. A double irony here. Wait, Ruby is a wine distributor. Your, your, your I don't always see the world through ruby colored glasses. <laughs> Cap your heels together three times. It's time to make our thoughts oh. about which wine stays and which wine leaves <laughs> in this wine thunderdome. Makes it out alive. The exotic nature, the sort of wild nature of the Rioja just completely steals the show for me. Michael Quinlan votes Rioja. That's me. Khalees Smith? I mean, we knew. <laughs> you wanted Rioja coming, going into it? You're taking Rioja. This Rioja is lovely. Blooms in such a cool way. You get fruit up front, a little leather on the back, and got just enough funk to bring it to all together. I think this is really, really lovely. Thanks, but, Chris. But Chianti is nice. And like, I don't generally like Italian reds, in part because of how minerally they are. Yeah. The way this one is structured is really interesting. But like every time I go back to it from the Rioja, especially, it's like I'm sucking on a penny. Interesting. Ruby Rob? <laughs> you know, I, just for you know, my personal taste, I like the Chianti. I'm, uh -huh. I'm going with that one. I just like the wine more. I don't think the Rioja is bad at all. I just. I will be the deciding vote here, I suppose. <laughs> because it's two to one, we can keep it a uh, hung jury here, or we can push it over the top. While I love Chianti, 
and I think that the addition of Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon is nice, and that this is a great wine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with yes. it. The Rioja is super fun, delicious, excellent, and would be the one I'm taking home with me. So the winner in this wine, Thunderdome, is once again... Conde de Valdemar Rioja Reserva. And the, the runner-up, which I would also be happy to drink and will continue <laughs> to drink while we're here. Canonica a Chiretto Chianti Classico Reserva. Michael Quinlan, Table and Vine. I'm so glad to be uh, drinking with you on the oh, radio. So good. It's so good to be with you always. And Ruby Rob, we've been drinking on the radio together for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> always, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Table and Vine is probably an underwriter of they NEPM. They are definitely an underwriter. All right. But again, that's not why we're talking with them. We just like to taste with people who know what they're talking about. Know someone knowledgeable we should bring into the Thunderdome? Email thefab413 at nepm.org or text 1-800-639-9120. Coming up, our in-studio musical guests, Mike Stinson and Johnny Erian, who are playing at the Egremont Barn in Stockbridge this Saturday. But first, part two of our tour of the Clark Art Institute in Williamstown. They are also an underwriter of NEPM. But again, not why we went. We just like looking at art. You're listening to the Fabulous 413. <laughs> Clark Art Institute in Williamstown. Khalees, you wanted to make a special Fabulous 413 field trip out here because... Well, they have some really cool exhibits happening, and they are waiving admission until the end of March. And that's coming up. Hi, I'm Vicki Saltzman. I'm the director of communications here. And what are we looking at here? We are looking at a painting by Guillaume Lettier, who was a fascinating character in his time. He was born in the 1700s on the island of Guadeloupe to a French planter and his mother who had been formerly enslaved. So he was of mixed race and when he was a young man his father took him to France to get him an education in art because he had shown some talent. So by the time he's 15 he's in France and quickly outgrows many of his teachers because his talent is so significant. And he eventually becomes highly favored by Napoleon's brother. So he has a very important position in the court there. And he paints this painting, which is called Brutus Condemning His Sons to Death, in 1788. So this is a painting that is widely recognized as having inspired the writers who pushed for the French Revolution. Brutus is a statesman. His two sons have been found to have been guilty of behavior that would endanger the state. And so he has had to make the choice between family and country, and he has chosen his country. So you can see the one son has already been beheaded. The other son looks like he's fainted as he is about to be beheaded. And so the notion of a man choosing put his country first is one of the inspirational moments of the French Revolution. Marius, you're no longer a child. I do not doubt you mean it well. But now there is a higher goal. And next year, we will be doing a big exhibition on Letier. Our director, Olivier Millet, and our deputy director, Esther Bell, were just in Guadeloupe doing research for this exhibition, and they're bringing paintings from all around the world to showcase Letier. Ooh, excellent. Now we've gone farther back in time, right? Yes, this gallery shows many of the older works in our collection. This one that we're standing in front of is one of the oldest works in the collection, painted in 1490. 
by Domenico Ghirlandaio. This is a portrait of a lady. It was probably painted as either a bridal portrait or sometimes I say to people, imagine an early Tinder photo, if you would. <laughs> so her father may have had this portrait painted to showcase his daughter, and there are many symbols in there. She's holding a laurel flower, which reflects her purity. She's covered in pearls and jewels, so you know she's from a wealthy family, and she's quite beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that at some point in her lifetime, and she's had a very long one, someone decided to convert her from being the lady that she was to a saint. So someone painted a halo in above her head, which you can still see a little bit of a shadow of, and then somebody else decided to remove the halo. So paintings have these histories where things come and go and change, um, but she's still, I think, quite beautiful, and the colors and the strength of the painting over more than 600 years now is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and she does look like, with the Tinder photo thing, like she might swipe, <laughs> swipe right with her fingers down she the bottom. What painting are we looking at now, Vicki, from the Clark? We are looking at Elizabeth and Thomas Lindley. It's a portrait by Thomas Gainsborough, the English artist. And in their day, Thomas, Thomas Lindley and his sister Elizabeth were two of the most popular musicians working in Europe. Thomas, who in this painting you see is just a young boy, was a contemporary of Mozart's and was considered to be his equal in performance and they played together often. Elizabeth was said to have had the most beautiful voice in all of Europe, and this picture is sort of heartbreaking to me. They have these amazing eyes. Uh, a few years later, Thomas sadly drowned. Elizabeth married a promoter, a music promoter, and once she married him, he never allowed her to perform in public again. Wow. So her voice was silenced, so it's, always a touching picture for when I look at it. Yeah, and they don't look happy in the picture. It's like they know what's coming. I don't know if you can foretell things, but they were captured at a moment where they were both clearly beautiful. Yeah. Um, but life didn't hold good things ahead for them. He looks at you everywhere. Yeah. Stop looking at me painting. Also in this gallery, we have two more of our newest acquisitions. Two paintings, they're called pendants because they were made to hang together uh, by an artist named Marguerite Girard, who's a French artist. And she has shown you two parts of motherhood. One mother in the one painting, the baby is being brought to her and she's about to breastfeed the baby. And it's a very tender domestic portrait. The, the nurse is holding the baby back a little. You can see they used to tie cloth around babies like a leash. <laughs> <laughs> Could but, come in handy nowadays, too. Yes. We're here, though. This mother has the capricious child, and the nurse has brought the child to the mother, and the child doesn't want anything to do with the mother. And you can see a sort of forlorn look on the mother's face, feeling that she's somewhat rejected. Yeah. If you had a rough day, moms, come to the Clark and check this painting out. You will relate. I can see my own wife's face in All this painting. All children make a, every mother feel this way <laughs> occasionally. Mom! 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 Mommy! Mommy! Mama! 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 What? Hi. <laughs> oh, what's happening with the child over in this painting? 
found a bathroom right where they are. <laughs> look, right near the dog, it looks like, too. I think so. Yeah, and the mother. It's basically just a, she can't. Yeah, she's that's beautiful, but it's also hilarious. Hanging out the laundry, and it she's just... Clearly, intentionally so. Yeah. Like, oh, no, what are you up to again? This is the joys of parenting gallery, I guess. So we're in a very small gallery now that has several paintings by Edgar Degas hanging on the walls. And in pride of place in the center of the gallery is his most famous sculpture, The Little Dancer, aged 14 years. This sculpture, uh, when she was shown at the Academy Salon, she was dressed in real clothes and had a human hair wig on and was presented under a glass vitrine. And she scandalized the people of Paris who went to the salon because they thought that he was, well, many people thought she was a real person under the glass, <laughs> wow. which might have freaked you out. Um, but the bigger issue was in that day, many, many girls would study at the Paris Opera Ballet. Very few of them would go on to real careers as ballerinas. It's, it's a hard discipline. And unfortunately, many of them would end up becoming friendly with gentlemen who were interested in paying for their companionship. And so the proper Parisian society thought that he was elevating one of these, they called them the rats of the Paris Opera Ballet, uh, because they would scurry around all the places. So they thought he was elevating her to a position of greatness that she, perhaps she didn't deserve. But it was based on a real little girl who was one of the uh, students in the Paris Opera Ballet. Her name was Marie. Degas was so scandalized that people didn't like his work that he never showed another of his sculptures publicly again. He continued to sculpt throughout his career. And we have many works out here that are all little ballerinas, all done by Degas. Which is what he's famous for, really. Well, he loved the ballet, yeah. and um, we have some great Degas paintings of the ballet. We've got the sculptures, and then she's the jewel, the little dancer. More impressionists in this gallery. Uh, one of my favorite little moments in the gallery at the far end here, you see that portrait of a man, a young man. That's a very young self-portrait by Pierre-Auguste Renoir. And I love that our curators hang it across the gallery so that you're seeing Renoir at a much older age. Oh, wow. And you can see he's lost a little of the swash from his early youth, and he's much more tired. And you know, at the end of his life, Renoir was very crippled with arthritis, and they used to have to bind his hands. They would put the paintbrush in his hand and bind it with cloth so that he could hold the paintbrush and keep painting. Oh, sounds painful just to think about it. Yeah. As part of the Manton's 50th anniversary, you're doing a film series. So the Manton building, which is the building adjacent to our museum pavilion, is 50 years old this year. It was designed by the great architect Pietro Belushi, who worked for a period of time in collaboration with the Architects Collaborative in Cambridge, Mass. And it's a real 70s style building, and so we're celebrating the 70s with a film series tied to the 50th anniversary. And we've got some great films coming up, Love and Anarchy, which Giancarlo Giannini won his can film award for, and that was directed by Lena Wertmuller. So you've got 
two big names there. We've got Don't Look Now, starring Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie at her finest, if you ask me. It's one of my <laughs> faves. And then Badlands with a very young Martin Sheen and an even younger Sissy Spacek in a really amazing work. The director on Badlands uh, is Terrence Malick in his first major film. So it's, it's quite the spectacular movie. Before we uh, exit this wonderful tour of the Clark, a reminder that admission for everybody is free till the end of the month. And um, a new exhibit has opened here too. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we've just opened a new exhibition called Portals, the Visionary Architecture of Paul Gush. Paul Gush was a German artist and an architect, trained as an architect, who had a very sort of sad life story that has influenced the fact that you've probably never heard of him. Mm -hmm. He suffered with schizophrenia most of his adult life, was in and out of institutions regularly. When he was out and working, he was producing what they call paper architecture. Everything was imaginary. These were not buildings that were going to be built, and if you look at them, they look like balloons or <laughs> Candyland pieces. He was working in Germany just after the end of World War I. Germany had been heavily destroyed and there were no building materials even in the country. So the architects occupied themselves by imagining a great new architecture versus the old architecture of traditional Germany. And he was very well respected in his peer group with architects and with artists. Sadly though, he did struggle heavily with mental health and he was in an institution for many years at the end of his life and was murdered by the Nazis as part of their cleansing of people who had mental health problems. So more than 300,000 people were killed in this Nazi program, including Gush. And then in connection with the exhibition that we're doing on Paul Gush's architecture, we also have a full architectural film festival that will kick off very soon um, with some great pieces, including Metropolis, the great silent film. When I mention that to my partner, they're going to be very excited, and I might be able to get them to maybe take the night off. Do it. It's worth it. These paintings that are in our show, most have never been shown anywhere. This is the first exhibition in North America of his work, and this is specifically of his architectural work. It's a very unique opportunity. The show is only here for 12 weeks, so to try and get here, hurry, uh, <laughs> to see the show, because once it leaves here, it will go back to the Canadian Center for Architecture, which holds all of Gush's papers, and will go back into their vaults, and it will not be seen again for quite some time. Clock's ticking. Get to the Clark. Get on it. Oh, we're not allowed to tell people what to do. Yeah, no, you might want to think about going to the Clark. There you go. <laughs> NPR rules. <laughs> Monday in the Fabulous 413, we'll talk with Academy Award nominee and acclaimed author John Sayles. He's got a new book of historical fiction called Jamie McGilvery. He'll be at the Odyssey on Wednesday, and he'll join us on Monday. Where he'll have to listen to how I love all his films and had to watch them for school. Up next, our in-studio musical guest Mike Stinson and Johnny Irian, who are playing at the Egremont Barn in Stockbridge tomorrow. You're listening to the Fabulous 413. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. 
our musical guests this Friday. And if you haven't noticed, we've liked to have musical guests on every Friday. You know, just getting you warmed up for the weekend. Yeah, have a brand new album out today that's a quarter century in the making. Mike Stinson and Johnny Irian's release Working My Way Down comes out today, but picks up on a project that began in the San Fernando Valley in the mid-1990s and was scrapped after the passing of their bandmate Andy Jones. But Mike and Johnny stayed in touch borrow Jackson Brown's tape machine like and you do. have released this really fun new album. They'll be performing at the Egremont Barn in Stockbridge tomorrow. Advanced tickets are sold out, but you can still walk up and get tickets. Also joining us in the studio is Dave Fennessy on guitar, three of them playing acoustic guitars. Let's hear a song in the fabulous 413 from the new album, Working My Way Down. Thank you all for coming in. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We'll do, uh, we'll do the title track. Excellent. Two, three, four. How many times must I say the lines and pretend that it don't mean a thing? got the reason I got the rhyme ain't nothing else I can bring and now my chances are all used up can't get a drink from an empty cup when I started I was way uptown but I'm working my way down working my way down I painted your image on the bar stool next to mine where I spend most every day you drink the water and I'll drink the wine Till this honky-tonk becomes a cabaret And though my prospects were growing cold I stake my claim out on fool's gold Mama said my time would come around But I'm working my way down
working my way working my way down working my way working my way Title track of the brand new album out in stores. If you can still buy records in stores, you can which still you can. buy records in stores, and you should from the local ones. Yes, They're today, Mike Stinson and Johnny Erian working my way down, playing at the Egremont Bar in Egremont, not Charlemont. Uh, tomorrow, uh, I've known Johnny for a long time now. It feels like, and yes, uh, your work with another friend of mine, Sarah Lee Guthrie, and some great albums yes, that you've come out together. Yeah, uh, but Mike. I have not had the pleasure to meet until today, and you both were in a band in the 90s and had a project that was brewing that took a quarter century to to manifest itself, and it's now here today. Tell us, uh, Mike, a little bit about, about That's that. That's right, yeah. We had a band together in the mid-90s, Johnny and I, uh, out in Los Angeles. We, we lived together out there in a house and uh, worked on songwriting. We were both uh, fairly accomplished players. We played in, in, in other people's bands, but we hadn't been front men, singers, and writers till that point, and uh, we, we moved into a house together, started working on that stuff, and uh, and we played a bunch of shows around Hollywood for a couple of years, and then it fizzled out, like uh, so many things do, and <laughs> Johnny moved back east, we kind of lost touch with each other for a couple of decades, and um, since we both found ourselves on the east coast in the last couple of years, we've reconnected, and Johnny has a wonderful studio in his house uh, up in the Berkshire Mountains in western Massachusetts. So I started coming up and we started recording stuff and kind of picking up where we left off uh, back in the 90s. And um, when we were teenagers, as I was saying, and uh, <laughs> look I at I always us. think in the 90s, so you mean like last week, right? <laughs> uh. I said, and look at us now in our 30s, still doing it. You know? 29 <laughs> forever. Yeah. Forever. But uh, yeah, we actually completed this record, and it comes out today. It's like Christmas morning. The new phone book is here. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the story of how you have Jackson Brown's uh Reel to reel, I believe, tape machine yeah, 20, in your studio. It's a twenty-four track Studer A eighty. Um, I had I've known Jackson for a while, uh, but it wasn't until I met my mentor Alan Kozlowski, who uh, was a cinema photographer, incredible guitar player. Uh, he was, you know, he did the special effects for Titanic and had a beautiful company called P.O.P. Uh, in Los Angeles where he worked with George Harrison. He he also studied with Ravi Shankar for 40 years playing tambora and wow. with Ravi. That's cool. So, yeah, Alan was a deep cat, and he was also Jackson Brown's best friend and his cinema photographer. And, like, all running on empty, all the live stuff was Alan's. So Alan had left his tape machine at Jackson's, <laughs> <laughs> and they had inherited it at Groove Masters, and it had been there making records. I mean, they have several tape machines at, at Jackson's. But um, Alan was just like, you should. Go. He heard some of the songs I was writing with the U.S. Elevator Project, and I was in Santa Barbara at the time. I have a, we have a lot of friends in Santa Barbara, and actually, Mike and I we connected in L.A. through Chris Robinson of the Black Crows. Mm -hmm. So he was producing this band, and Mike was a drummer, and I drove out as a guitar player. Because I had toured with the Crows, and Mike was in L.A. at the time. So the guys who are in that band are still connected to me in Santa Barbara. So that's so I met Alan through 
that crew. And he was like, dude, go down and get the studer. And I was like, I, I went down. I didn't know it weighed 1,200 pounds. <laughs> but <laughs> we got it, and we brought it back to Santa Barbara. We made my last solo album, Driving Friend, and a U.S. Elevator album on it. And then when the Whiskey Treaty Roadshow approached me about uh, doing their album, I was kind of wanting, I was itching to get it back east. And, and I moved it. A buddy of mine put it on a tour bus, and we got it here. And now it's in my in my house. <laughs> What's special about recording on reel to reel as opposed to something digital? Um, I love there's there's several components, but I think the two main components would be the art of recording. So, you know, I like to have people in a room and um, I just finished making a couple of records last right before we did a residency in Texas last month and we just got back. But before that, I had some of the guys in Dawes and some other cats and we sit around and we it's like we did the Mike and Johnny record like we will start stewing on an arrangement and then we you know that you're going to try and capture it all on tape so you start getting hot like with the arrangements and then all right let's go for a couple and then we'll listen back and you know you don't dial like you have to rewind the tape and everybody you're intently listening and intently like getting to the next take and looking for that magic tape take and then once you capture, you know, you capture it, then we dump it into the digital realm. And sometimes we put digital stuff on top of the tape. But I like to have like, the, I call it the jambalaya. Like you get the jambalaya <laughs> all together with the mistakes, with the slowdown, whatever it was that made it so magical. Or, And that's one thing about tape too, like where if you do something, you know, there's so many albums that I love. I mean, like David Briggs and all the Neil Young records, you know, there are mistakes in there, but yeah. they are cool. Like, and like sometimes with digital, like it, it collides and you can't, you start fixing things and stuff. I just, this, the workflow is really, really what I love about it. We're speaking with Mike Stinson and Johnny Erian, who have a brand new album out today, Working My Way Down. They're playing the Egremont Barn tomorrow. Let's take a quick break, and we'll see how many songs we can squeeze in before the end of the show. How's Do that it. sound? We'll be right back in the fabulous 413. Welcome back to the fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We are in studio with... Mike Stinson and Johnny Arian, who have a fabulous new album, just came out today. They're playing at the Egremont Barn on Saturday, and they have another song for us. Let's get to it. Alrighty. It's called Brand New Love Song. Two, one, two, three, Every tear I cry over you See what you do Why is every song I sing About yourself No one else I got a brand new love song To sing for you And the worst thing about it Is it's true why does every chance I take Make my heart break for no one's sake? Why does everything I need Make my heart bleed yeah, and go to weed? I got a brand new love song To sing for you 
And the worst thing about it is it's true Yeah, the worst thing about it is the truth in every line And the only saving grace is that it rhymes Yeah, it rhymes, baby I've been keep lingering to fool again. Why is everything I see reminding me what used to be? I got a brand new song to sing for you. And the worst thing about it, yeah, the worst thing about it, oh, the worst thing about it is it's true. Mike Stinson and Johnny Erian with an assist from Dave Fennessy and the new album from Mike and Johnny called Working My Way Down. That song was the standout track as I was driving through the Berkshires today. And when I heard that line, the only saving grace is it rhymes, I got a chill, which is always my favorite part. But we want to hear at least part of another song. So what's going to happen is they're going to play as much of a song as they can before the end of the show. And then at some point, we're going to start talking and tell you what's coming up next. But okay. no. That you can buy the album now if that is your thing. Working my way down. My and uh, if you go to the Egremont Barn, even though it's sold out in advance, you can still get tickets at the door. So let's hear one more as we wind down the week with Mike Hunter. Stinson and yeah. Johnny Erian. Mama, you're sweet as a ponderosa pine In the shade of your branches I want to recline It's always a heavenly cloud Honey, you're sweet As a ponderosa pine I flew in on a jumper From the hotel up in Stanley My heart sunk through my knees As the pilot idled through the valley Hooking up the rest I'm to have a good time Honey, you're sweet As a ponderosa pine Mama, you're sweet As a ponderosa pine In the shade of your branches 
We'll talk with Academy Award nominee and acclaimed author John Sayles. He's got a new book of historical fiction called Jamie McGilvray. He'll be at the Odyssey on Wednesday, and he'll join us on Monday. And a couple of food security fiestas next week. We'll talk with comedian Jimmy Tingle, who's hosting an April Fool's Day comedy benefit for the Franklin County Community Meals Program. And we'll talk with the Amherst Survival Center about their Empty Bowls dinner. Our director is Tony always showing his gratitude done. Our engineer is Betsy reconfiguring the mics and the rules, Cordis. Our technical team is Bart, Solid Sound, Rankin, Kara, oh, you guys did decide to show up today, Foster, and Punk Rock Dubay. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, who are performing at Bombix and Florence tomorrow, Elton John, The Monkees, Tina Turner, and Mike Stinson and Johnny Arian. Who are in studio with us with Dave Fennessy. Yes. Thank you so much. Such a gorgeous Egremont Barn, <laughs> tomorrow. We'll see you next week in the fabulous 411. Not tomorrow on Monday.